Let's come into agreement. Now, there's been prayers already, but let's come into agreement in prayer. Father God, we come before you knowing that you said if any two of us on earth would agree as touching anything we ask, it'd be done for us of you, our Father, which is in heaven. And we agree as touching precise and exact utterance. We agree as touching the exact plan and your will and your way and the, the precise manifestations of your spirit for each service, for each time we ask for it. We believe we receive it. We come into agreement together concerning these things. And we ask, Lord, I ask, give everybody eyes that see, ears that hear, hearts open uh, that receive. Let there be a supply of the Spirit administered. And to everyone that's watching by any medium, let there come an anointing. Let there be divine grace deposits made into them, truth impartations, the incorruptible, eternal seed of the Word of God that lives and abides forever, that will grow and produce much fruit and fruit that remains. We believe you for it. We thank you for it. We give you glory for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's one more time, let's thank God for the good things that are happening just by faith and that will happen. Lord, we thank you by faith. For every good thing that you're working in us and through us and by us. Every good thing that you have on the way to us right now. Thank you. Thank you. You're a good God. You do good things for us. And good things are planned for us and happening for us. And we give you all the praise and all the thanks and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated. If you would turn with me again to scripture that we looked at past evening, 1 John, the fourth chapter, and then John, Gospel of John, 13. 1 John 4, and then John 13. We began last evening talking about the true love of God. And coupled with that is that goes hand in hand with that is true Christianity. God is everything that He does and is and has is true and genuine. There's not the least bit of falseness or fake anything in Him. But the devil, on the other hand, is completely false. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. He is the great pretender, the great actor, deceiver. And so he is a a duplicator of the true things of God. He can't duplicate them exactly, so they have to be a perversion of it. And you'll find that he has a a false, just about anything that that we have in the kingdom of God. And he's uh, very crafty, very subtle. And if you don't know the real, then people are led astray by the false. And there are, you know, different false perversions of the operations of the spirit. There is a perversion and a false love. And we'll touch on that and talk about that. There's a false faith. Did you know that? A fake faith. 
Paul, writing to Timothy, encouraged him about unfeigned faith. You remember that? Feign means fake. Well, why would he say, uh, you know, not fake faith, unless there is a fake faith? And that, that is the reason why what some people call faith, they, they don't get results, because it's not the real thing. It's fake. I don't want fake anything. I want the real deal. Don't you? The, the, the genuine article, and in God it is real. We, we want to talk about true love, genuine love, and true Christianity, genuine Christianity. In 1 John 4, 1 John 4 verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. You don't have to know what church somebody came out of. You don't have to know what denomination or persuasion or their background. You don't have to know any particular dates recorded to see if they really were born again. If they have this kind of love in them, then they have been born again. And they do know God, at least to a degree. This is the mark of the genuine Christian. The true love of God. Verse 8 he that loves not knows not God, for God is love. Let's say that out loud three times. God is love. Again, God is love. One more time. God is love. That's what He is. As we said uh, on, on last service, it'll help you. If every time you see in the Word, or you hear in conversation, you're talking about God, for a while, substitute the word love. And just begin to open up things to you. Instead of saying God, say love. And you'll begin to see that unless you're seeing through the eyes of love, you're not seeing like God's seeing. Unless you're approaching things from the perspective and doing things in the vein and flow of love, you're not doing it in God's way. And the Lord began to minister to me some months ago very strongly that I was not emphasizing this enough. And not just me, but, but many of us were not emphasizing this properly, that we were teaching it like, you know, along with other subjects. Healing and prosperity and righteousness and authority and love. He said, no, that's not correct. We're not supposed to teach love like another subject. God is love. Amen. And we're supposed to have a firm grasp and footing in love in everything that we teach. is supposed to be permeated and interwoven with love. And... Uh, I, you know, the further I get into this, the more ignorant I see that we've been concerning real love. You, when you begin to talk about it, you can just tell people they, they know it's important, but, but we know precious little compared to what we can know about the real love of God. People are uncomfortable talking about it sometimes. It's like it's great, it's wonderful, but that's about it. But no, 
The, I mean, you can't exhaust the subject of love because God is love. It's as rich and vast as God himself. But this is not something that we just need to talk about once in a while. This is something that our whole life is supposed to be manifesting. Amen. Now, go back with me, please, to John 13, 13th chapter of John, John 13, and verse 34. Jesus said, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, everybody say by this. By this this what? By us loving each other. By you and I loving fellow Christians. When he says love one another, that's what he's talking about. He was talking to his disciples, to his followers. Yes, we're supposed to love the world, but that's not specifically what this verse is talking about. We're supposed to love fellow Christians. And by our love to each other, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. So the, the indisputable mark of a genuine Christian is the God love toward fellow Christians. Have we majored on this like we should have? I don't think so. How are people going to know that you and I are the real thing? How are they going to know the difference? You know, uh, there's a lot of stuff called Christian that's not Christian. Right? That doesn't have the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah in it. I mean, there's whole churches that are called Christian. And they're not Christian. They're none of them born again. There are whole works that are called Christian works and Christian efforts. And, and they don't know him. There are people, you know, just because you go to church, that's not the mark of a a true Christian. Just because you sing and because you put money in the offering. Just because you're on the membership robe. It's just because you were baptized in water. Uh, Even if you speak in tongues. Even if you have miracles in your midst. He didn't say by this people would know. What is the mark of a genuine Christian? The true love of God that shed abroad in her heart that is manifested toward our fellow believers. Amen. This is what should be majored on. This is what should be emphasized instead of other things. Other other things should, should form around this. This is the core. This is the foundation. This is what our faith works by. Our faith works by love. So, I mean, if we just talk about faith, talk about faith, and don't emphasize this, then we are eliminating the very element that our faith operates by. And I said something last night, I didn't intend to say it, I said it by the Spirit. That this is an answer and this is a key to us reaping our harvests. Amen? I, I, I know that you're in the same boat with me. I, I have to acknowledge I have not reaped spiritually and materially in the, in the measure that I've sown thus far. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, I haven't reaped. I mean, even a, even a 30-fold. Much less a 60 or a 100-fold or a 300-fold or a 1,000-fold. 
I haven't reaped all that in. But it's not because I don't believe in it. And I have, we have had some hundredfold returns on some things here and there. But I'm talking about overall. Man, if you know, most of you are in the same boat with me. I mean, if you reaped a twentyfold harvest off of everything that you sowed, <laughs> we'd be bankrolling some big projects, buddy. Is that right? And it's ours. I said it's ours. And it's not just up to the Lord. It takes faith to sow, but it also takes faith to reap. But something the Lord said last night that I hadn't, I, I didn't think that up, but he said to me through us in the service that uh, this is a major key in taking the cap off of this. We're only able to reap according to our faith. But I hadn't thought as much along this line. He went on to say, and our faith is only able to operate according to our love. So this has been a limiter. And the thing is, we haven't majored on this like we should. We know it's important. We've talked about it. But it hasn't been the core of our life like it's supposed to be. As our love grows and abounds, then our vision is lifted up. Amen? And our heart for people grows. Then our faith will also be able to operate on a higher level because faith works by love. Can you say amen? amen. Can you see any of that? Don't, don't throw that away now. That's something we need to meditate on. I didn't come up with that. That's something we need to meditate on. Think about. As our love grows, it's going to take the limitations and restrictions off of our reaping. Because our faith works by our love. Now he said by this, shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. Go to the 15th chapter please. 15th chapter of John. Now I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself and then we'll come back to this a number of times. But one of the key things that is helping me understand the true love of God is in this verse right here that we're about to read. And it is, you could just sum it up in the one word, joy. If you think that you are pursuing the love of God and this, it is not accompanied by real and full joy, then you're on the wrong track. We'll see this clearer and clearer as we go. But so many times what people call love, and when they start talking about love, if you'll notice, they get sad. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever noticed that? People go, well, we just have to walk in love. <laughs> huh? You know what? I mean, it's accompanied by a heaviness. And you start talking about bearing one another's burdens and taking up your cross and following him. I mean, people don't start shouting. Do they? I mean, it's, it's kind of sad. And people start talking about, well, we just have to keep walking in love. And I know it's hard on us, but we've got to do it. And that is the general mentality. And that's, that's why I'm so stirred in my spirit about this thing. Because from, the to from my toes to the top of my head, I want to scream, that's not it. That's not it. 
That is not the true God love. When you're operating in this, oh yeah, there'll be some things your flesh doesn't care for. Don't misunderstand me. But oh, in your spirit, there is a joy unspeakable and full of glory, hallelujah, that accompanies this real love. And as you grow in it, you begin to joy in sacrifice. Did you hear this? I'm going to give you ample scripture for this. But you begin to joy, you begin to take joy, and you begin to take pleasure. Amen. In sacrifice. For another's benefit. Now I want you to write those two things down and keep them strong in mind. Number one, joy. Number two, another's benefit. Keep those two things in mind throughout all this teaching and it'll help you. Because th- this thing is so powerful. The love of God is, is the most powerful thing in the universe. It's way out beyond nuclear arms. In fact, there's not many things you can say this about. There is absolutely no defense against it. None. None. There is nothing the enemy can do to stop it. There's nothing he can do to prevent its results and effect. Nothing. Does that make you smile? Do you like that? How many believe, 1 Corinthians 13, love cannot fail? Cannot. Well, I mean, we understand that God is love. So what's another way of saying that? God cannot fail. So if you're operating in the love of God and your faith is operating by the love of God, then you're operating by God. Right? And by God... You cannot fail. (laughs) Amen. Or by love. You cannot fail. There is no defense against it. The enemy after all his time has come up with nothing. That can even slow it down. He's defenseless. He's open and naked before it. I like the thought of that. John 15, are you there? John 15 and verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Stay in this love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Now abide means to live in, to stay in, to dwell in. And He wants us to stay in the manifest love of God to us. When you please God, He manifests Himself to you. In fact, just... Hold your place there. Back up. It might, might be a page. might not be that much in your Bible. 14, 21. John 14, 21. 
says, He that has my commandments and keeps them. Now, now we know that from the verse we just read, if you do that, you abide in his love. You live in his love. Notice what it goes on to say. He it is that loves me. And he that loves me shall be loved of my father. And I will love him and will what? Manifest myself to him. Now this is what uh, makes it worth getting up in the morning. When God manifests himself to you. We know he's here by faith. But we want him to manifest himself. Amen. To us. What will cause him to do that? Us loving him. Us loving him will cause us to do what he says. Amen. And that will cause him to manifest his love to us and on us. I mean, the love of God is what people are looking for in all kind of improper relationships, in all kind of habits and vices. They're looking for something that makes them feel high, makes them feel free, makes them feel loved. Makes, people do it with money. People do it with overspending. People do it with trying to climb the corporate ladder, trying to find something that makes me feel important, gives me a sense of value, gives me a sense of purpose. But none of that can fill the void. Do you know what each and every human being that's ever lived on the planet, what is in the core of your being, what you want? You want the love of your Creator. Amen. That's what you want. That's what you need. We need it like we need oxygen. Amen. And when you have that strong enough in you, when you know that He's in you, And you're in Him. And He loves you. And you love Him. And He's pleased with you. And He's manifesting Himself to you. Then you are free from insecurity. Hallelujah. You're free from trying to impress everybody. You're free from pulling on everybody that you need this. And you need that. And you've got to have this support and that support. I'm telling you when your soul is anchored in Him. And you know that you're loved. Of him. Then if people, other people give you love or not. You can still be okay. Amen. You're secure in him. You know I, I've heard single people sometimes talk about. That they're looking for that person to fulfill them. To, to, that they're not a whole person until they find that, that, that special person. Well that's wrong thinking. I said, that's wrong thinking because you, you cripple a relationship right off the bat. Because you're thinking, I've got to have you and you've got to have me. And, and listen to me, I love you, I need you is not the God kind of love. It is a form of self-love. When you say, I love you, I need you, I've got to have you, I need you. That's not loving them. It's loving what they do for you. Did you hear me? God loved us while we were doing nothing for Him. (laughs) Right? He loved us when we were at enmity with Him. When we were by nature enemies. When we, you know, were against Him. He loved us. 
and did for us before we ever, ever had a chance to do for him. I love you, I need you is self-love. The God kind of love is I love you whether you like me or not. <laughs> right? I love you if you do nothing for me. I love you if you irritate me. Huh? I still want to bless you. I want to do something that would help you even if you do nothing for me. Right? That's the God kind of love. And no other religion, no other group has this love. You can, you can only find this in God. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep reading please. He said in, in the 1421, he says, I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Back to the 15th chapter. Chapter 15. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Stay in this love. Live in this love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, let's stop right here. We just got through reading this in 1421. How do we know if anybody loves God? Huh? Simple. People don't like it this simple, but it is this simple. They do what he tells them to do. If you don't obey God, then you don't love God. People don't like it like that. <laughs> but this is the way it is. You know, our modern psychologist and psychotherapist, especially secular, wouldn't agree with this. They'd say this is performance-based love, you know, that you're supposed to, well, I love you, you know, I may not do what you tell me to do, but I, that don't mean I don't love you. That's a lie. I said, that's a lie. God says, if you love me, you will do what I tell you. If you don't do what I tell you, you don't love me. Now, if that's not clear to you, read these three chapters here. Actually, read 13, 14, 15, 16 of John and read 1 John real carefully. You'll see this come up repeatedly. I don't mean once or twice. It comes up repeatedly. In so many words, he says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. You'll keep my commandments. In other words, then you'll do what I say. If you don't do what I say, then it's just talk. You don't really love me. So our love for God is revealed in our direct obedience to what he tells us in his word and what he tells us by his spirit. And what is the great reward for loving him enough to obey him? He will manifest himself to us. And he is love. Amen. So he's manifesting his love to us. We live in the environment of love. We, we wake up in the love of the Master. Amen. We go through our day in the manifest love knowing He's pleased with us. I remember some years ago we were coming, I was coming actually from a, another country where we had ministered and had some good meetings, had some great healings, and some, uh, a lot of people answered salvation calls. And it had been tiring and 
And uh, I was looking forward to getting back home and looking out the window of the airplane. And uh, I just began to sense the pleasure of God. This is what we're talking about. Just sense His presence and His peace. But it's hard to explain. But you've experienced it if you walk with God and endeavored to please Him. Uh, Just a deep sense of satisfaction. And the Lord said to me, He said, Thank you for going. Thank you. I said, Well, thank you for using me. He said, You know, many are called. But few are chosen. He said, I'd like to use a lot of people, but they're too busy. What does that mean? Let's let's analyze that in another way. What does that mean? It means they love their self more than they love him. Because they've got to do what they want to do. And it's deception because life is short and so much of this stuff just doesn't matter. I mean, in a hundred years from now, who's going to care? About some of that stuff that people are so preoccupied. A thousand years from now. Who's going to know? Or want to know? That we spend all day, you know, doing something. If it had no effect at all on the kingdom of God. Our time is precious down here. Isn't it? You and I are not here for long. Our life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. And the scripture says that because Jesus laid down his life for us, we ought to what? Lay down our life for the brethren, for each other. Right? How do we do that? When we hear that, does it make us sad? Laying down your life. That sounds like you're losing something. Right? It sounds like you don't get to have fun. But tell me what's the key to this real love of God? What's, what's a key identifier in it? Joy. Joy. So if we're thinking that way and we're feeling that way, we're already going down the wrong path. Notice what he said, verse 11. John 15, 11, these things have I spoken to you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Amen. Amen. I need to read that again. Read it with verse 10. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, even as I've kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. And these things I've spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you. When you think of love, when you think of laying down your life, when you think of sacrificing that others may benefit, should it make you sad? What's going to be the result? Joy. 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 Amen. That His joy might be in us. The joy of the divine. And that our joy might be full. Full joy. Full joy. Have you ever been used to meet somebody's need? Hmm? Has it been a case where it inconvenienced you? 
Or it cost you something. Maybe it cost you some time to pray for somebody. It cost you. You weren't able to do something that you had planned to do. Uh, you know, people need you when they need you. Not when it's convenient for you. And so many times it's not convenient. They need you at 3 in the morning and they're 200 miles away. They need you to come get them. Or they, they need money and God deals with you to help and it's not a good time for you. Financially. You know, has the Lord ever asked you though, is this a good time? He's never asked me. I don't ever remember him asking, Keith, is this a good time? He knows already. And he lets some things happen on purpose. Because it comes down to choices. But have you ever been put out, been inconvenienced, given when you didn't have a lot, etc., etc., but you saw somebody's need got met? Doesn't that give you joy? Doesn't it give you a joy that no natural pleasure or money can provide to know that you have been an instrument? Amen. In somebody's healing or deliverance or blessing, that's worth any price. Amen. That you and I can be a part of that. And that's where real deep life satisfaction, where real fulfillment comes, is when you're being used. In love. By love, by God, to meet somebody's need. That's what he's talking about. That's what love, true love of God is all about, is meeting somebody's need. Being used to meet somebody's need. Verse 11, these things have I spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man what? Lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Amen. How can you tell you're his friend? You do what he tells you to do by his word and by his spirit. Now the word friend here is a great word. Not just the technical definition of it but can you even see how he uses the word here listen to it I'm going to get into this not today probably but later on he says greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends you are my friend this word is used with the word love we're going to talk about what it means to be a true friend before this is over because Jesus uses the word in connection with us and just by the way he uses it we ought to know right off this is a powerful thing how many can hear what the Lord is saying you are my friends if you do what I tell you to do you think that means anything yes, sir. to be the friend of the most high because <laughs> it works both ways right if he says you are my friends then what can you say <laughs> God is my friend Amen. Now that doesn't mean some that doesn't mean much to a lot of people, but with God that means something. Now, he said he laid down his life for us, and he said, Greater love has no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. I want us to talk about that to a measure at least. Laying down our life, what it means, and why it should result in joy. Instead of the sadness that people think it does. Go with me, why don't you, to Luke, the ninth chapter. 
Are y'all believing God with me on this? This is an assignment. And uh, it's something the enemy doesn't like. And it's not something I've had the opportunity to just teach for months at a time on. So I'm really, I'm believing God. Are you believing God with me? I think it's extremely important. We did some oh, a year or so ago. We were able to teach a few days on this. And it took, it took the better part of the time until we broke through to a place. Because I don't know, you know, what was going on, but it's, it's wrong thinking, I guess, or just the enemy's opposition or whatever. But we broke through. But I, I'm asking you to stay with me and believe with me. You understand what I'm saying? And don't, you know, if I'm not uh, preaching and waving my arms and spitting cotton and pulling a rabbit out of a hat, just don't, don't go to sleep. Just, just stay hooked, okay? And, and let this thing build in you because that's how it works. It builds in you. It builds in you. And after a while, you begin to see things differently than you saw. I've seen it happen already like this, where there's a breakthrough. And don't think that this is unrelated to all the other areas of your life. We've already touched on that. Even your reaping is tied in heavily with this. But there's centuries of wrong thinking that have been ingrained in the church about these particular things, about laying down your life for somebody. Most any Christian would agree you should do it. But if you asked them, do you do it? What would they probably say? Well, <laughs> probably not nearly as much as I should. And that is a, that's a mentality that you'll find among a lot of church people. They'll agree with you. Yeah, you know, we should do that. Do you do it? Well... Probably not nearly as much as I should. Uh, the Lord corrected me on some of that. Oh, this has been almost 20 years ago now. Some friends of ours, we, we helped lead to the filling of the Spirit. Hadn't seen them in a while. We came back and visited them, had a meal with them. And I asked them, had they been in the Word? Had they been reading the Word? Because I knew they needed to get started feeding if they're going to grow. And the young lady, the wife answered, and the husband was nodding his head. She said, no, no, you know, we hadn't really been in the Word. She said, I guess none of us is really in the Word like we should be. And uh, that was her explanation. And the Lord spoke up in me. He said, that's not right. I didn't say anything to her. We just tried to encourage them what would feed them and help them to grow. Later on in a time of prayer... That came up to me again. I said, Lord, what? I don't understand. I know you said that's not right, and I know it's not right, but I don't understand why it's not right. He said, am I unreasonable? No. He asked me that question. I said, no, sir, I don't believe you're unreasonable. He said, then can you or can you not read the word enough? <laughs> I thought, well... You know, usually because people say, well, I don't guess we could ever praise enough. I don't guess we could ever, you know, give thanks enough. I don't guess we could ever uh, get in the Word enough. I don't guess we could ever give enough. He said, am I unreasonable? I said, no, sir, I don't believe you're unreasonable. He said, then can you read enough? <laughs> can you read enough to satisfy me? 
Can you get in the word enough to satisfy me? Can you pray enough to satisfy me? Can you praise enough? Can you give enough to satisfy me? Or could you pray all day and I'm still not satisfied? I said, no, sir. He said, then you can. It is not, not only is it possible, but it's, it's easily done by my grace if you'll just obey me. Right. He said, I know what you've got going on in your life. I know what you need to do. I know that you've got to sleep. I know that you've got to eat. I know that you've got a job. I know that you've got things. And I am not unreasonable. He said, just follow your heart. If you read some and you're not satisfied, what do we do? Read some more. Right? But if the devil will come and lie to you and tell you, you can never do enough. You're behind... You're probably 20 years behind. <laughs> and so there ain't no way that you're ever going to catch up. So you might as well just admit it that you're a floppy failure and forget about it. <laughs> and the implication is sinister though. The implication is that you're believing that God is harsh and unreasonable. And, and, and can't, hard taskmaster that cannot be satisfied. And it's a lie. I said it's a lie. It's a lie. I've actually had the Lord before tell me I was all primed and ready to study for something. And he told me, go to bed. (laughs) Well, in this case, you're disobedient if you study. (laughs) Is that right? That's right. Go to bed. Get some sleep. Do you know that you have to be disobedient to burn out? You do. There's no such thing. You know what I mean by burnout? Minister, you hear that, that phrase with ministers a lot. What's, what, what happened to them? They just burn out. How did that happen? The implication sometimes is left that, that God will work you till you drop. And then he'll kick you and say, get up from there, boy. I mean, there's work to be done. Get up and get with it. And he will absolutely run you in the ground. He will push you till you drop and then get you back up again and push you some more. That is a lie. I said that is a lie. The Lord is the good shepherd. Amen. And his yoke is easy. 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 And his burden is light. Light. So if your job and your, your, your yoke is hard and your burden is heavy, you didn't get it from him. That's the devil. We're supposed to be the Lord's racehorse, not the devil's pack mule. The devil will load you to your sway back. He will load you to your belly is dragging the ground. And then he'll try to load you some more. And, and, and the problem is, he can't do it unless you let him. But people do. People try to take on the burdens of the whole world. Trying to, you don't realize it, but they're trying to act like they're the Savior. You are not the body of Christ. You are a member. A member in the body. You're not called to do everything. You're not graced and gifted to do everything. Just your job. 
But if you cut out all the junk and cut out all the waste and all the stuff that's just flesh and that profits nothing and will do what he tells you to do, there's plenty of time with spare. He even believes in vacations. He does. He told his disciples on more than one occasion, come apart, you know, to rest. They spent time, a lot of time on boats. Out in the water. They did. Resort areas. Said desert places. <laughs> Away from the crowds. God is not unreasonable. Can you read enough? Yes, you can. The problem is, people are deceived and they stop short. Sometimes stop short 15 minutes. And so go the rest of the day with that dissatisfaction. When all, if you'd have just gone a little bit further, then your heart would have been clear. You get up and go do something else. You've prayed enough. You've read enough. You've ministered enough. You've done enough. You've given enough. It's not true that you can give everything you've got and God's still not happy with you. That's a lie. We serve a good God. We serve a gracious God. A kind master. Amen? Amen. And understanding. Gracious and good. Have you found Luke yet? Luke chapter 9. Now there are two basic ways that people live in the earth. I'll, I'll name them this, but they could be called a number of different things. People live either by the law of the flesh or Christians are to live by the law of Christ. Or you could say the law of the Christian or the law of Christ. Before you read this, won't you go to Galatians 6 and let's read the law of Christ. Hold your place in Luke 9, please. Go to Galatians 6. Two main ways that people live in the earth. What are they? Law of the flesh or the law of Christ. Now, the law of the flesh is the law of selfishness, the law of self-satisfaction, the law of self-preservation, the law of, you know... Making me happy. And of satisfaction through getting. Satisfaction through getting what makes me happy. Whatever that may be. If it's things, if it's people, if it's situations. If you live by the law of the flesh, you live to satisfy yourself. You live to make you happy. And you can understand easily that that's where most people are at. Right? Their main objective in life is to make me happy. And sadly, Christians can operate this way. Even though you've got the law of, of Christ in you, you've got the love of God shed abroad in your heart, that doesn't have to rule you. You can yield to the flesh. And you can pursue self-satisfaction, just like Joe Sinner down the street does. But the, the interesting thing about this is that just the opposite is the truth. If you live for yourself, what did Jesus say would happen? If you seek your own life, what will happen? You'll lose it. 
Will you be ultimately happy by spending your life trying to make yourself happy? Most people don't believe this, but the answer is emphatically no, you will not be happy if you live all your life and resources trying to make yourself happy. It is impossible. It is against the laws that God has instituted. You cannot be. Even though you might temporarily for a few moments think, yeah, yeah, this makes me happy. Afterwards, there's sorrow. And, and that's why some of the people that are the most wealthy that are, you know, not trying to serve God are some of the most miserable people. you got people that just got more money than they know what to do with and they want to kill themselves. One of the reasons is because they, you know, people that are poorer, they live under the deception that if I could get money and if I could get some of these things, then I'd be happy and fulfilled. These people have gotten the money and they've got all the stuff and now they realize no matter what I get, it's not going to make me happy. And so they, they despair of life. The truth is though that if you lay down your life, if you lose it, what will happen? You will find it. Hallelujah. And the key to finding and keeping true life is laying it down. The key is sowing and giving. Not just in things, but your own life. The law of the flesh is me making me happy. The the law of the flesh is doing whatever I can to, to get what I want. And the law of the flesh is that you're perfectly willing for somebody else to suffer so that you could be benefited. Right? And you know, if you'd do this in a small thing, you'd probably do it in a big thing too. If you'd rather for them to wait than for me to wait. The law of the flesh is, I'm perfectly willing for you to be put out. (laughs) I'm perfectly willing for you to suffer if it benefits me. You know, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. They say. What does that mean? Well, hey, a few people may get hurt along the way. But what's the important thing? (laughs) That I get what I want. Right? But the law of Christ is the exact opposite. Look at it in Galatians 6. Galatians 6 2. What does it say? Bear ye one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is that you are perfectly willing to suffer if it benefits somebody else. But now I want to go ahead and and, and say this right now. You do not want to just suffer to be suffering. If it's not benefiting somebody, what's the point? Hmm? Because there is this whole thing that has grown up in the church of suffering for your own spiritual development. It's very much with us today. 
Even if people don't believe they have to suffer being sick or diseased, they still believe in suffering in some, some of these ways. And the thing is, there is a true doctrine of the Lord here that there is a key to spiritual development through suffering, but it is not suffering just for my development. This suffering must be benefiting somebody else, or else it is not a true Christian suffering. Are you with me? Why did the Lord suffer? Because he was trying to attain to some place spiritually in his development? Did Did any of the suffering, was it for him? It was not. It was for us. Do you think he would have gone through it if it hadn't benefited us? Why? What would have been the purpose? He didn't need it. Go back to Luke 9 before I get too far away from that. But also you could find Colossians. We'll go straight from Luke 9 to Colossians. Colossians 1 after Luke 9. What is the law of the flesh? That's me living for me. Right? And being perfectly willing for you to suffer. (laughs) If it helps me. Right? What is the law of Christ? Living for the Lord, right? Living for somebody else. And being perfectly willing to suffer if it helps you. Right? Me willing to suffer if it helps you. But you're willing to suffer, you're willing to sacrifice, you're willing to be put out if it helps somebody else. Right? Not only are you willing to do it, but you're glad to do it and get joy out of it. Can you see why I'm taking this a step at a time? Because when you say that, it's almost foreign thinking. Have Have we read scriptures to this effect, though? If you keep the commandment of love, what's the very next verse in chapter 15 of John? That my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. Everybody say love and joy. joy. Real love love. and real joy. joy. The law of Christ is bearing one another's burdens. I need to go to Colossians before I go to Luke. Now go to Colossians 1 please. People say well yeah but Jesus bore all our burdens. What, What do you mean? Bear one another's burdens. Well, I'm reading scripture, right? So it's got to be right. Whether you understand it or not. Huh? I'm reading New Testament scriptures. This is bear ye one another's burdens. Well, I thought Jesus bore all our burdens. Well, here's something else that will really interest you then. Colossians. What did I say? Chapter 1. And verse 24. Let me read verse 23 first. He said, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in what? My sufferings for who? For you. Was Paul talking about sufferings for his benefit? 
something that caused him to develop to a high place spiritually. No, no, no. My sufferings for who? For you. And fill up that which is behind of the afflictions or sufferings of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? None of us can suffer to pay the price for sin. That's been done. Only the master could do that and he has done that. But he is not only our substitute, he is also our example. And we, we, we do follow in his footsteps and partake of the sufferings of Christ. Amen. And if we follow him fully, we're made conformable unto his death. And when we hear things like that, most people don't understand any of it. And it just immediately sounds like something bad and negative. That you wouldn't, I mean, it does, sufferings? Yeah. But what do we know from the scripture we've already read? What's the result of this? Joy. If you keep that in mind, it'll keep you on the right track all the way. How about Jesus himself? Hebrews 12. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Hallelujah. He endured it. And despised the sufferings and shames. He, he looked at them and ill-esteemed them. And he said, I can do this. Why? Because he was looking at you and he was looking at me. Amen. And he could make it through that terrible suffering, that terrible sacrifice, literally laid down his spirit, his soul, his body for us. And he did it for what? For the joy. Everybody say for the joy. For the joy. joy. Say it again. For For the joy. For the joy that was set before him. Glory. Are there sufferings of Christ that you and I can partake of? I had three yeses. Verse 24, let's read it again. <laughs> Just stay with me, okay? Are you with me? Colossians 1, 24. He said, I now what? Was he sad? Was he down? Did he say... Oh, we've been suffering. Ah, you just don't know. (laughs) But we've been through. But we're doing it for Jesus. Huh? Was Paul, the Apostle Paul, I mean, he went through some stuff. Just about every city he went through, they had revival and riot. People loved him, they tried to worship him, and they tried to kill him too. Just about everywhere he went. But was he a depressed individual? If you could have traveled with him, if you could have been part of his team, what kind of man would you have been around? Was he always sad? Was he all, or was he the one that wrote Philippians? He said, rejoice in the Lord. Always. And again, I say rejoice. And be careful for nothing. Huh? Can you, I mean, sitting in a jail cell. Don't you worry about a thing. 
But in everything, just pray and give thanks to God. It'll be all right. He's the man that said in Acts, what is it, 20 or 21? None of these things move me. None of them. Glory to God. And talking about all these things, he kicks it off by saying, I rejoice in these sufferings. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice. I rejoice in my sufferings. This absolutely is contrary to the doctrine of suffering that's been perpetrated through the church for centuries. People don't talk like that. Well, we've been going through some things, but you know the Lord knows. And this is just necessary for my development. And for me to reach this place of spirituality. And it's a long, hard road. (laughs) It's a heavy. It's heavy and it's hard. Well, now, that's contrary to scriptures, isn't it? Everybody say, light and easy. Light and easy. Is that his yoke? Yoke is easy. Burden is light. Light and easy. Light and easy. That's the Christian life. I can see faces all across the crowd going, ah, <laughs> I didn't make this up. I didn't write that. These are Jesus' words. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. When it starts getting hard and it starts getting heavy, you've been letting the devil load you up with some stuff you got no business carrying. And you need to start bucking. <laughs> and buck it off. Because <laughs> the only thing the Lord puts on you is his racehorse, his little bitty light racing saddle. Huh? And what he hooks you up to is easy to pull. You can run fast with it. Because you run with his grace. You run and, and you carry it with his anointing. With his ability in you and on you. Say it again, light. And easy. Seems like I can't get away from that right now. Got a lot of good things right here to get to, but say it again. Light and easy. Light and easy. I think I just need to preach to you for a few minutes. You ready for it? First Corinthians, go there. You got to take a text when you're going to preach. <laughs> First Corinthians 10. First Corinthians 10. Say it out loud again. Light, light. And, easy. and easy. Light, light. And, easy. and easy. What if it's hard and heavy? Huh? God didn't give it to you. Right? Then, then where'd you get it? The devil loaded you up with a bunch of junk. You let him. So you were sad, dragging around, heavy, hard. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Oh, I like it. There has no temptation, no trial, no test taken you, but such as is common, the margin says moderate, to man. You haven't been going through anything special? Huh? I've had people get mad at me. 
Because I, I wasn't impressed with their problem. <laughs> Literally. That's right. Trying to minister to folk. And they told me. And I said, well, you know, God's on the throne. And they looked at God, got mad at me like, well, you just don't understand, Brother Keith. This is not your average problem. This says it is. This scripture right here says it is. Just an average problem. How many believe the Bible now? Then anything that's happened to you was just what? Just an average problem. Having people look at me and go, yeah, but this is not what you've normally dealt with, Brother Keith. Well, how do you know what I've dealt with? You don't know. No, Brother Keith, you don't understand. This is really, really, really something. You know that's pride. It is just pride. You know, to think that you're so special that the devil had to pull out three-fourths of his forces to focus on you. To cause you a real problem. <laughs> this is really serious, Brother Keith. It's really serious. No, it's just real unbelief. Just real doubt. One of the first steps in coming out of something is you have to despise your problem. Despise means to ill esteem. To belittle it. To see it as trivial and small and insignificant. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Well, he's a 10 foot tall, 650 pound, mean, lean killing machine. No, he ain't. He's an uncircumcised Philistine. Got no covenant with God. Don't know beans about anything. You got to ill esteem your problem. You got to belittle it. You got to despise it. What is this ten thousand dollars? It's nothing to God. What is this ten million dollars? You think God gets scared over big numbers? You think He grips His throne <laughs> and calls over to Gabriel? Hey, my, Gabriel, Michael, come over. How much did they say? A <laughs> hundred mi- mi- million? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? He makes planets. 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 When you make planets, <laughs> billions don't impress you. But I've had people look at me and go, yeah, but you just don't understand, Brother Keith. And then just get mad. Now, this is not your little run-of-the-mill problem. You don't understand. <laughs> I had a lady one time come up to me after the service. And she, I'm not exaggerating. She had a list of stuff, and she rolled it out like this. <laughs> it almost hit the floor. Of all the stuff I needed to do for her to get delivered. I was going to have to fast so many hours a day. I was going to have to pray in tongues so much time. And I was going to have to counsel with her and lay hands on her and, and do all this stuff. And, and Because she said, you don't understand, this is a serious bondage. 
<laughs> so what did you do? Well, <laughs> the Lord led me to be a little bold with her. She needed it. She really did. She marched up there telling me what I'm supposed to do. I said, well, if you know so much, why do you need me to help you? Because she's telling me, I know what I need. Well, fix yourself then. Right? If you, if you know what you need, what are you up here bothering me for? Now, I told her, I said, we know how to help you. But do you know how to listen? Can you receive? If you go sit in that chair and do what we ask you to do and stay hooked with us long enough, you will get help. The step one is you've got to be teachable. Right? Thank God. She didn't like it. It aggravated her. But she went and sat down and she, she got over it. Had a fellow one time up in New England. He came up to me after the service. He said, I got so mad at you. I got so mad at you. I thought about just taking my chair one time and throwing it at you. I was teaching on submission and authority. And he said, I thought about just taking my chair and throwing it at you. He said, but I'm okay now. I said, well, that's good. You're, you're okay now. I'm okay. We're in good shape. There has no temptation, no problem, no test taken you but what is average, moderate, common to man. But God is faithful. Faithful. He will not allow you. He will not suffer you. He will not allow you to be tempted, tested, tried above what you're able. But He will with the temptation make a way of escape. A way out. Always look for the exit sign. It's there. No matter what's going on, there's a way out of this. There's an answer. There's a way, there's a deliverance. But you must view it as he says it is and not have more faith in your problem than you do in your deliverer. You've got to believe that God is the God of light and easy. Not heavy and hard. I preached the sermon off this verse about Vic Victory. Brother Vic Victory and Brother Terry Trial. (laughs) And you see that there are people, you know, they're coming over the same trials, they're coming over the same hills, but they have two completely different perspectives. Brother Terry Trial, he comes up over this test and hill. But his life is not in good shape. His faith is not where it needs to be. His fellowship is not where it needs to be. His love is not where it needs to be. So his old... You know, Faith Mobile is hitting on about three cylinders. Stuff's clogged up. He's doing about 30 miles an hour. He comes to the hill and he goes, Oh, Lord, what a hill. Oh, it's a huge hill. So he has to downshift. And he has to downshift. He's about halfway up the hill, first gear, chugging, chug, chug. Oh, help me, Jesus. Oh, help me, Lord. Help me. And if by the grace and mercy of God he gets over the hill... And he pulls into the filling station, the local church. And they have a testimony service and Brother Terry Trial gets up and goes, Oh, there's a mountain. There's a mountain like no other. I don't think anybody's ever been through a mountain like this. Oh, it was so high. It was so hard. It was so long. It was so tall. It was so hard. And most of the church going, Ooh. And he sings, I'm coming up. On the rough side, 
of the mountain. I'm doing my best to make it through. And everybody goes, oh Lord. But then brother Vic Victory, he comes to the same hill. He's living in full fellowship with God. Hallelujah. He's got his, his faith is operating full. His, his love is operating full. So he's cruising at about 95. <laughs> and he sees the hill coming up and he goes, ha, a hill. He downshifts one time and gets into the four barrel. He glances and thinks he slowed down to 82 as he topped the hill. And as he came over the top, he went, hallelujah. He pulled into the service station and people said, filling station. They said, you come over that hill? You come over that mountain? He said, yeah, that little old hill back there? No, no, no. Brother Terry Trial came through there. And I mean, it's the mountain of all mountains. It was hard. It was heavy. It was like, he said, that hill back there? They came over the same thing. I said, they came over the same thing. When people are talking about how hard it was, how heavy it is, how bad it was, they're not telling you how bad the trial was. They're telling you their condition. Because we're all going through the same things. But God is faithful. Said out loud, light and easy. Light and easy. I, uh, I guess I ought to tell you this. I'm trying to close. Uh, the Lord allowed me to work in a healing school at Brother Kenneth E. Hagin's ministry. For almost 17 years, I guess. And um, when I first started, I was just as green as could be. I had no experience in ministry. I was going to be a fighter. I could punch you, but I couldn't preach to you. And so this, I'm just, just a few months past this. And people are coming with severe problems and needs. And I grew up in a relatively sheltered home. I mean, we had a sane home life. My parents stayed together and loved us and loved each other. And we didn't have crazy wild stuff going on at the house. And I'm beginning to learn how other people live. And it was amazing to me. And people would sit down across the desk from me and tell me about all the stuff they were going through in their life. And all the stuff that had happened to them. And they'd reach for a Kleenex and they're crying. And I'd get them one and they'd reach and get me one too. <laughs> And they're saying, my Lord, Brother Keith, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm thinking, I don't know either. <laughs> You're messed up. I didn't know you could get this messed up. <laughs> of course, you don't say everything you think. <laughs> but I'm thinking, what a mess. Didn't know people could get this messed up. But I begin to see, I can't help them like that. I can't help them by agreeing with the impossibility of their problem. I can't help them by agreeing how bad this is, how tall the giant is. That's not going to help anybody. And they come in with cancer. They came in with AIDS. They come in with epilepsy. They come in with this and that. I can't go, ooh, epilepsy. Are we going to get results like that? 
we got to go epilepsy. What is epilepsy? Had about three people with me that time. Huh? You know why? Because people are scared of this stuff. Cancer. What is cancer? I need some help out of this, friends. What is cancer? What is it? To the healing power of God. So, we begin to work in healing school. And eventually they begin to turn more of it over to me. And I felt so inexperienced, so inadequate to, for the task. And I'm praying and I'm seeking God and fasting. And i got some of the guys that are with me that help me. Let's pray. Let's fast. And I mean, we're, we're after it. But little by little, I didn't realize that I was taking on the care of these things. And we would see people get healed, but we'd also see people that didn't. Do you know we're not guaranteed that everybody we preach to will get saved? Are we? They could, though, couldn't they? We're not guaranteed that everybody we minister to will get healed. But they could, right? It's the will of God. And I, without meaning to, got heavier and heavier. And remember, here's the key, joy. If that's missing, you're getting off. Without meaning to. And I'm thinking I've got reason. Because I got all these people here that they're going to die if they don't get help. And we'd lose one and I'd think, maybe if I knew more, maybe if I had more faith, maybe if I was closer to God, maybe we'd have some more working in these people, I wouldn't have lost this one. So it really began to, to grieve me, began to bother me. And I'm praying and I'm fasting and fast. I mean, I lost all kind of weight. And I'm praying it wasn't all good though. Everybody said out loud again, light, light. and easy. easy. See, it had gotten to the place with me that it wasn't light and easy anymore. It was heavy. I was feeling it. And I'm sure I was no fun to be around, for Phyllis to be around. I'd come in and I'm carrying the weight of this. Praying, fasting, reading, studying, till I'd fall off my chair almost. And I'll never forget, one day I was down in the floor praying. Oh God, you know. Help me with this. What He spoke to me. He said, Keith, I don't mean to hurt an audible voice, but very distinctly in me. He said, Keith, you are not the Savior. Now, if you had asked me the day before, Keith, are you the Savior? I said, no. Are you the healer? I said, no, quickly. But yet and still, I'm trying to take some of the responsibility of it on myself. This stuff will crush you, friend. This is why ministers... Have ulcers and diseases and grow old before their time. Nobody burn out obeying God. You got to be disobedient. You got to get out of faith. You got to get away from God. He said, you are not the Savior. I said, yes, sir. I, I thought I knew that. He said, you are not the healer. I said, yes, sir. I thought I knew that. He said, the, the responsibility of whether these people live or die, of whether they're healed or not healed, is not resting on your shoulders. I'm the healer. He began to bring to my remembrance, you know, scriptures like in Ezekiel and other places where the people have really twisted and, and misapplied. That he told the prophet, if you don't tell them what I tell you, their blood will be on your hands. 
Some have taken that and tried to apply it just universally. That if you don't stop and tell everybody you meet about Jesus, their blood will be on your hands. That's not true. He didn't say that. He said, if you don't do what I told you to do. That's a specific charge. He said, sir, they're healing. And whether they live or die, it's not resting on your shoulders. And, and, and somebody's salvation is not just resting on your shoulders. That's too important to just be resting on your shoulders. It's not true. He said, you are responsible to do what I tell you to do. You seek me. You preach and teach what I give you to preach and teach. You minister what I give you to minister. And then you walk out of there and you roll the care of that on me and you enjoy your salvation. Because it's a poor witness for people to see you down. Nobody's going to want to be a Christian if it's being like you and you're depressed. It's a contradiction of terminology. A depressed Christian. No. It took me a little bit, but I I got to work on it immediately. And I learned. Give people what you got. Give Yes, I care. Give them everything you got. But once you've done that, I'm not the Savior. I'm not the healer. Cast the rest of the care of it over on the Lord and go get in my car and blow some leaves off the road. Go kill some bugs with my motorcycle. (laughs) I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Go scare some fish with the boat. Enjoy your salvation and enjoy. I mean, I don't. I'm not. Shouldn't feel bad because somebody's sick and I'm healed, huh? I want to help you get healed, but I'm not your healer. I shouldn't feel bad if if I've got some prosperity and somebody's doesn't. I didn't either, right? And all the temptations and trials that people are experiencing are common to man. Said out loud again, light and easy. Light and easy. His yoke is easy. Stand up and say it. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. I'm not the Savior. I'm not the healer. I cast the care. I throw the cares off of me onto Him. I rest in Him. I rejoice. And I enjoy my salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you yield to it right now, there's a lifting. Especially off of some ministers. And off of some people, there's a lifting. Let the lightness come. Let the lightness come. Let the freedom come. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Hallelujah. I'm not to carry heavy loads. It's not hard. It's not heavy. Light and easy. 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 
Oh, thank you, Lord. Let's praise Him a little bit for it. Praise Him a little bit for it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Say it again. I refuse to be heavy. I refuse to be down. Downcast. Heavy laden. I refuse to. I'm up. It's light. It's easy. And I have joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.